golf and rock and roll. Not logical, but it is fascinating. Playing down that big old fairway. Don't want no hackers to get in my way. The boys and me got a big NASA going. We were born to drive. It's the Golf Insiders, giving you the inside scoop on all things golf. Now, here are your Golf Insiders on 740 The Game. Hello, Orlando. You're listening to the Golf Insiders, taking you home on the fairways of I-4 in the house, Holly G, along with Jeff Shane, PJTour.com, Prime Sports Network. He does it all, and so fortunate to have him as my sidekick. <laughs> uh, wow, what a U.S. Open. We have so much to talk about tonight. I don't know how we're going to fit it into an hour, but, you know, we're just going to talk fast, Jeff. <laughs> uh, I suppose that that's the way to do it. If you if you uh, don't have enough time, talk fast. Maybe we can cover twice as much in, in an hour, but uh, you'll need to play it at a slower speed if you're getting it off the podcast. Jordan Spieth. Wow, wow, wow. Those, the, you know, that last hour uh, was, you know, riveting. Um, you know, shocking, Dustin missing the putt on 18. Uh, Spieth, the youngest winner of the U.S. Open since Bobby Jones in 1923. The first since Gene Saracen in 20, 1922 to win two majors before turning 22. I mean, what what can we say about this guy? We, we first acknowledge that he's pretty darn talented, and he is... Uh, learned very quickly how to stand up to major pressure. And I don't know what major pressure was for Gene Sarazen or, you know, Bobby Jones kind of created his own major pressure when he uh, was pursuing the Grand Slam, but that was seven years after that 1923 win. So uh, with all the eyeballs on him, and it was a roller coaster. He had a two-shot lead. He double bogeyed. Uh, 16 or, or 17, I'm sorry, and, and was forced uh, to try to take on uh, the 18th hole, which, by the way, uh, great call by Mike Davis last minute to move away from the par four and the uncomfortable, awkward par four to create some excitement at that par five. And I never understood why it wasn't the decision to begin with. Let somebody be a hero. And we had a hero in Jordan Spieth, and we almost had a bigger hero in Dustin Johnson, and then we had the heartbreak of Dustin Johnson. Couldn't couldn't agree more in terms of the decision to make 18 a par 5. Uh, DJ, let's face it, had trouble, particularly on the back nine with his putter and getting it in the cup inside six feet. Um, so much conversation about the condition of the greens, <laughs> as we know, ad nauseum through the whole week and the weekend, which uh, to some degree I think was un- a little unfortunate, taking away a little bit of the uh, the, the the players, um, you know, the great play that was going on out there. But, um, you know, with, with Dustin, it just seemed like his putting was off. And yet to see somebody 
just have it kind of slip away and three putt the 18th. I don't think anybody wants to see a tournament go down like that. No, no, definitely not. And, and, and to be honest, it wasn't even just Sunday. And there were times Friday, Saturday, and Sunday where Dustin's putting went south and, and he got pulled back into the field after jumping out to uh, a two-shot lead on both Friday and Saturday as well. But uh, Dustin, meet Doug Sanders, meet Scott Hoke, meet Stuart Sink, meet I.K. Kim. Uh, Y'all have something very ignominious in common. Uh, Has he spoken to the public since, you know, to any of the reporters since? I I haven't seen anything. Well, he he did stop in the parking lot. Um, He he didn't uh, go by the the main interview area, but uh, he did stop in the parking lot, answered questions. And then when the second wave finally heard that he was in the parking lot and caught up with him, he stood and answered some more questions and uh, he was he was very matter of fact about it. Um, you know, said you know he he thought you know that uh, that the he was surprised that the four footer stopped where it did. He thought it it wouldn't have run quite so far, but on those greens, I guess you never know. And he said, I just couldn't get it in the hole. I, I tried my darndest, and I could not get it in the hole. And he acknowledged that that his putting uh, he had been struggling with it for the entire back nine. I counted at least six opportunities on the back nine where he could have birdied or saved par from six feet or less uh, that obviously any one of those would have put him into a playoff and and any two of those would have made him the U.S. Open champion. You're listening to the Golf Insiders, Holly G. and Jeff Shane. Um, You know, I... I think one of the things, too, about those greens, one thing, and we can get into also the... Uh, TV coverage by Fox Sports, which I think um, led a little bit to be desired. And um, I don't think taking on golf in a major event like the U.S. Open for your introduction was probably the best uh, way to launch your uh, golf coverage. But, uh, you know, I think it was also one thing I did like was I I love this technology they use to – to show the gradation of the greens mm-hmm. with the shadowed areas and the you know the the highlighted green areas, so you could really get a sense of the of the undulation of the greens. That's something until you are at Augusta and you see the greens, you don't appreciate all the you know subtleties, the wicked turns, you know the way you have to putt those greens. And I think one thing that you're know, looking at his um, initial putt how, you know, much faster that putt was. And I don't think he expected to see it roll by that far. Yeah, and that, that, that may be what he was trying to explain in, in saying, I didn't expect the putt to wind up where it did. Um, but we know the, the greens were fast. Uh, we know that there was no rain through the week. It was, uh, they did water the greens to start the, start the day, and they did overnight to make sure that they didn't lose them overnight, and credit to the USGA for that. But... Uh, when it's dry, you know that that it's going to be fast, especially so in a U.S. Open. And um, somebody timed the amount of time from the from when his ball stopped after the first putt to when he struck the second. It was less than a minute, with that much on the, on the line. line. And you and, and everybody's different. In fact, one of the things that people say has been great about Jordan Spieth is he doesn't fritter over a putt too much. But somewhere, I suppose, there's a balance between overanalyzing a putt 
in doing the Jim Furyk, Keegan Bradley false starting, uh, and and not taking enough time to make it, making sure that you're absolutely certain of what you're doing. And it seemed a little quick for Dustin to come back with with his second punt, especially with as much on the line. Kind of reminds you a little bit of of Doug Sanders. Uh, and if you go back and you look at Doug Sanders at the 1970 British Open, uh, he he did everything right with the putt except when he moved from his practice swing to get to settle over his putt. He forgot to move his feet, and that changed his entire putting stroke. Well, you know, one thing I'm getting a little tired of hearing is the fact that, you know, a lot of the analysts say, you know, there's nothing super great about Jordan Spieth's game. He's just kind of all around consistent. Well, hello, you know, that's what you want. That's what's going to put you in the final groups on Sunday. And this guy, even without his A game, you could clearly see it on Sunday, you know, stayed patient. I think that's something he really learned last year, particularly in the Masters. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, he's just each time he gets in this place, he he just, you know, takes away so much and then applies it to the next time he's in that place. And as many have said, he just seems like such an old soul in terms of his way of thinking around a golf course. Yeah, his learning curve as a professional has been amazing. And uh, if you are very good at everything and outstanding at nothing, that means that maybe you don't necessarily go to Augusta every year and say, well, you know, this course fits Jordan Spieth or, you know, going to St. Andrews, this course fits Jordan Spieth. What you do get is that Jordan Spieth can be competitive on any type of course, anywhere, whether it's a birdie shootout or a long slog major championship, and you figure he's got enough game somewhere that he's going to put himself in contention on on Sunday, and then all he has to do is just have everything dialed in. Uh, but he's not going to shoot himself out of a tournament very often. Well, it was an unbelievable major Fantastic Sunday finish, and we've got a lot to talk about tonight. And we are going to have three of our best golf insiders coming to us in the next hour, having just gotten back from Chambers Bay. And next up will be Todd Lewis from the Golf Channel. Stay with us. You're listening to 740 The Game. Quite an impact, actually, uh, when he sank that three iron and hit me in the back of the head. I can't believe I'm into this. I really hate to lose. Asking forgiveness. We're back, the Golf Insiders, taking you home on the fairways of I-4 in the house, Holly G and Jeff Shane, Strugglers Blues. I think DJ's feeling a little bit of that hangover. I would imagine a certain amount, but uh, as we kind of talked about off air, he seems to be a guy that's really laid back and and doesn't let a whole lot get to him. That was always the criticism is that maybe he didn't care enough. And then he you know steps away from the tour for six months and uh, tries to, to take care of that. And you know, would have been a good storyline <laughs> if he had uh, if he had won. But uh, instead, it, we still get a great storyline um, in that this is the fourth time now that he has uh, had a chance to do something on a Sunday at a major championship. And he's walked away empty handed every time. And so now he's kind of become the hard luck case. Still plenty of time to change that. He's only 30. And, it, you know, Phil Mickelson was, what, 35, 36 before he won his first? So uh, 
some people are just late bloomers. Well, we're going to go straight to one of our favorite golf insiders who was right there covering it wire to wire. And what a finish. Todd Lewis from the Golf Channel. Hello there. Hey, guys. How are you? Awesome. Todd, just take us through what was going on in those last couple of uh, holes. I mean, it was pandemonium, it seemed. I mean, I think part of it, part of it was the, you know, the grandstands that they had everywhere. Also, the amazing, you know, Northwest crowd that seemed to be almost like uh, the crowd at Waste Management. But uh, just give us a sense of what was going on. Well, the final three holes, I mean, I thought Jordan Spieth had won it on 16 when he knocked that long birdie putt in. I mean, it seemed like it was his to lose at that point, and he nearly did it. Um, but I think more than anything, what you saw on that 72nd hole, the difference between Jordan Spieth and Dustin Johnson, is the fact that Jordan Spieth knows how to finish a major championship, and Dustin Johnson doesn't. And the fact that Jordan was able to do it with recent memories, talking about finishing a major, uh, as he did at the Masters, I think he leaned a lot on that. I think he had a lot of belief that, you know, I could still win this. I could still, even though I've made a double bogey on 17, I could collect my emotions, collect my mentality. And as he said, he hit two of maybe the best shots back-to-back in his career to get on that par 5, 18th hole in two. Um, so, and again, it, it, I've said this so many times. His birth certificate says 21. He may be lying on it because <laughs> he's got a 30 to 35-year-old head on those 20. 21-year-old shoulders. He's got tremendous sense of maturity. I think that was even beyond Tiger Woods at the age of 21. A complete understanding of what, where he is, what his presence is uh, in the game. And, and, and he's got a, an ability to bounce back from something that you know, happens to everybody on the golf course and that is harshness late in the game. So I, I'm, I'm always, I continue to be impressed by Jordan's speed uh, as, as to what he does on the golf course. And another, you know, thing about that 18th hole, he managed to hit an eagle putt and then create a tap-in for his birdie. And, and that was no easy putt, as we certainly saw after uh, Dustin hit his putt, you know, passed on the 18th. Well, Jordan Spieth is the best putter on the PGA Tour. I mean, hands down. Statistically, he may be number two or number three, but when it comes to clutch putting, I, I mean, if I, had, if I had a putt for my life, I would like Jordan Spieth to, to take it. Um, I was really surprised, to be honest with you, that Dustin three-putted. I actually uh, flew back with Cole Swatton, who's Jason Day's caddy uh, from Seattle. And we were talking, or he was talking about it, um, the putt that Dustin had. He said he was amazed that he blew that ball by the hole as far as he did and didn't kind of lag it up there given the circumstances because Jason had a putt on a similar line there. And he, you know, he kind of gave him a little bit of a, a hint as to what the speed and the slope of that putt would be. Um, but you know, I guess Dustin wanted to win it, and you know, he may have gotten too aggressive, and ultimately it, it cost him. On the pantheon of missed putts to win a major championship three feet and less, where would you put Dustin's? Or I'm sorry, not three feet and less, five feet and less. Because uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking Doug Sanders, I'm thinking Scott Hoke, I'm thinking Sam Snead in 1947, I'm thinking Stuart Sink. Southern Hills, where would you rank them? Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, you could say Retief Goosen uh, at the U.S. Open is that same Southern Hills event, but he went and ended up winning. But it, you know, I mean, Sanders is the most visible. I mean, when he hit it, he, he reached for it. Wait a minute, he tried to pull it back and do it over again. <laughs> um, but 
this was surprising, I mean, to be honest with you. I, uh, when, when Dustin hit his second shot on there, given the fact that he's been in these situations on Sunday, and Jeff, I heard you talking about that before. This is the fourth time he's had an opportunity to win a major on a Sunday, and ultimately he's come up short. Given the fact that he's been in those positions before, I mean, just the law of averages, he's got too much talent that he would cash in on one of those. So I wasn't sure that he was going to eagle it, but I, in my mind I was 99% sure he was going to two-putt it, and we were going to be there Monday, and I was going to have to change my flight. Um, but it didn't happen. And, you know, some people, and I think you said this, Jeff, you, you know, he's, he's resilient and, you know, he's got a short memory. This one's going to sting, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this one's going to hurt him a bit. Um, he's going to have some scar tissue for this because, again, he's been in these situ- situations before. This is his fourth time. He's a top-ten player in the world. He's 30 years old, so, you know, it, he, you can't really say youth is an issue anymore. Um, but... I think this is going to linger a little bit for, for Dustin Johnson. I think until he's able to, and, and to be honest with you, I think it's going to take a, kind of a Martin Keimer type of performance last year at the U.S. Open for Dustin Johnson to win a major championship. He's going to have to blow the field away um, because I, I'm not sure he has confidence in the heat of the moment at a major championship. But if he does that, then I think that will trigger a lot of positive things for him. Um, but it's gonna. I, I could be wrong. He could. He could win St. Andrews by five shots at the Open Championship. Um, but I, I getting talking to him briefly and how quickly he wanted to get out of there. The fact that he didn't stay for the U.S. Open ceremony where he was going to get the silver medal as a runner-up with Louis Oosthuizen that was a big indication to me that this really stung and, and it hurt him a lot. Um, so I completely. I, I completely agree, Todd. Yeah, I, th- I think he. I, I think this is gonna. It's gonna linger for a little while. And and what are your thoughts on that? I I mean the fact that he you know he didn't stay, he didn't address the media, um, you know well, let I me think stop you there. He did address the media. Uh, I you know Golf Channel, uh, and there was some confusion. Uh, we came on live from the U.S. Open, and he didn't go to the media center, but he did talk to media members outside the locker room. So he did talk. Um, yeah, and he stayed I mean, a while. I, he actually stayed for the second wave when everybody figured out he was in the parking lot. Uh, well, there was only one way, Jeff. Was <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah, when he left the um, – I mean, he was upset. I mean, that's an indication, right. again, why I think this is going to sting for a while. He was very upset. And I'm um, sure he picked his son up, paid him, and it was a nice picture. And we, you know, looking at that, would say, oh, you know what, he's got perspective. And he does, I'm sure. I mean, his son means a lot to him more than a major championship. But for him not to stay at the ceremony and for him to, you know – not go to the media center. He did, again, address reporters, but it was very brief. Um, tells me that this, this hurt him. Um, as far as him not attending the ceremony? Um, I mean, in the, world, yeah. in the world of sportsmanship, I mean, let me just maybe put it in another context for somebody who's maybe a little more controversial right now. Had somebody like a Billy Horschel blown that off, I think there would have been all kinds of heat coming down. I just, you know, seeing that chair empty... You know, it just that's you know, it's part of sport winning and losing. Yeah, I mean, I, I let's let's take it even further. Let's say if not Billy Horschel, but Phil Mickelson had done that. Um, mm. can you imagine the uproar? Yeah, um, that, you know, Phil Mickelson's seventh time he's been a runner up, and this time he opts not to be at the ceremony. Um, yeah, he didn't show up. I part of me kind of understands that. Um, you guys have covered all kinds of sports, and when you have heartbreak like that, you know, you, you, you're, you're rattled, you're shattered for a while. Um, but uh, at the same time, I think it would have behooved him to, to be at that ceremony. Todd, you mentioned um, flying back with Jason Day's caddy. 
Um, mm-hmm. I comp- I have benign positional vertigo. Oh, I have well. this condition. I know what it's like. And the fact that he was able to play, I, I you know, on Sunday, um, you know, a lot of it has to do with, you know, the way you tilt your head and, you know, looking at the horizon and to just be able to hit a golf ball, let alone in the U.S. Open and still, you know, come close to winning was beyond remarkable. And he surely gained a ton of respect and fans. Yeah, he showed courage. There's no doubt about it, um, especially if you consider the difficult walk Chambers Bay is. I mean, I, I know people are hearing this and, and golf, they're saying, golf, what are you even talking about? He's walking. Um, but it's an eight, it's close to eight, eight and a half mile walk there. And there's a uh, 500, there's, the, the elevation change is 500 feet. And it's actually a couple of times during the, the round that you're going to change that elevation. So, you know, you do that for four consecutive days. You know, it, it can wear on your leg, especially for the caddies, the four guys carrying the bag. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I got a sense. I talked to Jason Sunday night. It's interesting because, um, I did a report on this on Golf Central, but I, and we showed video of him walking around with a neck brace. I that saw that you would yeah. see whiplash victims wear. Um, but but I talked to him, and he seemed optimistic that that things are going to be okay. And I talked to his trainer, his name Cornell Dreesen, and he says that this is manageable and treatable. So you know, you may have a, a little episode here and there, but, you know, they, once they pinpoint on what, um, what triggers this and they don't think it's going to be a big deal, then uh, they they can take care of it. And, and it shouldn't really affect Jason Day moving forward. So, um, yeah, so that's, I, 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 things look optimistic for him, in my opinion. It's, it's very true because actually, you know, now mine is very, you know, once in a while. Uh, and you kind right. of know the things that can set it off. And they also have specific sort of exercises and, you know, treatment. Rotational things. Rotational things. Because really what it is is they, they call them ear rocks, but they're like teeny tiny crystals in your yeah. in your ear canal that break off and it throws your balance off. And, you know, what? again, it, this isn't just a little bit of like dizziness that you get. You know, this is vertigo when the whole, you know, world is spinning like your Toto in The Wizard of Oz. And, you know, there are a lot of things you can play through, work through, you know, colds and even, you know, flu, but pretty tough when you got vertigo. Yeah, I agree. And like you said, it's it's good that it sounds like it's treatable and manageable. And that's the biggest thing. Uh, Because, I mean, gosh, you know what? He's had such bad luck with his body. I mean, he had wrist injury, a thumb injury, that back issues, and now this. Um, and you consider how talented he is, you know, and a lot of that talent has been suppressed because of what his body is doing to it. Um, but, you know, I, like I said, I think, I think this is going to be okay moving forward, and, and we sure are hoping for that. Do you suppose that we'll see him before St. Andrews, or uh, does he just take the next three weeks to get himself in the best position for British? No, I, well, he was scheduled to play the Travelers Championship, and he was going to have two weeks off. He pulled out of that to kind of get a... Uh, his hands around this issue that he's got with the vertigo. So, no, I don't think we're going to see him again. He's not going to play the John Deere for sure, and I don't think he's scheduled to play the Greenbrier Classic. So we'll see him at St. Andrews again. And speaking of St. Andrews, Jordan or Rory, Todd, who are you going with right now? Or the field? (laughs) Well, you know, everybody that I've talked to has played St. Andrews uh, competitively at the Open Championship, and we saw this with Louis Ustase. 
uh, back in 2010. People may not be aware. He's, he's pretty pretty long off the tee. That distance is the biggest factor there. you got to blow past these bunkers. And do that. But they were saying that at Chambers Bay, too. Um, and we saw what happened. So it's I, I, if you told me Rory or Jordan, I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't see why right now I should take Rory over Jordan. <laughs> You've got two major championships. I know Rory's the number one player in the world, and I know that this may fire Rory up a little bit. But again, Jordan has very recent memories on what it takes to win a major championship. Okay, one thing, one quick thing. I know you're against the clock. I want to talk about the golf course. The, I think the USGA, and you know, you heard from the gripes of the players at Chambers Bay. It was a bit disappointing that 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 they didn't have even surfaces, um, and the spectators weren't able to walk around with these groups. But uh, the thing is that the USGA is aware of these problems, and it sounds like they're going to work hard trying to correct them, and they're going to try to bring a U.S. Open back to Chambers Bay. Um, and I say that positively because the fans in the Pacific Northwest are passionate about sports in general, but also about golf, and I think it's a great venue. Yeah, really, really great. Uh, couldn't agree more. Thanks, Todd. We appreciate the extended report. As always, we appreciate your time. Todd Lewis, uh, what's happening on Golf Central tonight before we let you go? Well, we're going to preview uh, what's happening in the Travelers Championship. Uh, there's the U.S. Senior Open that we're previewing. The ladies are in uh, Arkansas for a big event on the LPGA Tour, the Northwest Arkansas Walmart event. So, uh, yeah, you know, every, every, every event that's in the big, big stage in the world of golf, we're, we're all over it. We know it. All right, Todd Lewis from the Golf Channel. Thank you so much, Thanks, my Todd. friend. Thanks, You're listening to the Golf Insider, 740 The Game. Stay with us. We've got lots more golf talk coming up. Hey, Harry, thanks a lot for all the security you provide for us. Well, that's my job to keep all those nuts away from you. That's just the way it is. Don't play in pebble, won't pay the price. I love my muni, I think it's nice. It good we're back, the Golf Insiders, taking you home on the fairways of I-4 in the house, Holly G, along with Jeff Shane. Uh, we talked about it last week, Jeff, this incredible swing training product that we saw at the International Network of mm-hmm. Golf Conference, uh, developed over in South Africa, and just one of the best training devices I've ever seen. Um, we've been talking about Jordan Spieth and consistency. This is a way you get your consistency, your timing, your rhythm, and your tempo with your golf swing using the swing click. And I'm going to give away a couple right now because, you know, that's what we're all about, swag and trying to improve your golf game. So the fourth and fifth caller at 407-916-8255, 407-916-8255 is going to win one of these awesome swing clicks. And uh, let's not delay any further. We're going to go to another one of our uh, favorite publications, Global Golf Post, and the editor-in-chief, who took over for our good friend Brian Hewitt, Mike Perky, back from Chambers Bay. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Oh, my gosh. Uh, You've covered a lot of U.S. Opens, my friend. Uh, How did this rank in terms of... uh, Oh my gosh! Finishes. Oh, listen, the the number of things that happened in the last hour of the tournament were were almost too fast to keep up with. I mean, things are just turning on a dime, every way possible. 
Uh, it, it was one of the most dramatic finishes I've ever seen. Did we lose him? Did we lose you? Perky? Perky, are you here. there? Sorry, we lost you. Oh, here I am. Okay. okay. Live radio, you got to love it. That's right. So you said one of the most dramatic finishes. Oh, everything that happened in the last hour was just incredible. It went so fast you could hardly keep up with it. Well, and I know as a writer on Deadline, that must have been pulling out a lot of hairs. And, uh, you know, I know, I, I guess I heard there was a few cheers when it looked, look, you know, when it didn't go into a playoff. But uh, well, we, we went to the golf course Sunday morning fully expecting to be there on Monday. And we probably should have been. Um, but it just didn't happen. Yeah, tell, you know, give us, a, again, there's, you know, just been so much talk about the Greens. Um, you know, I, personally, you know, I just think it. this is, you know, it's our national championship. It's a major. The USGA certainly had plenty of time to produce, you know, the best Greens possible, even being that it's in the Northwest. And, yes, there's, you know, POA and all this, you know, about the native grasses and the fescue. Uh, you know, it it just seems like this was a black eye on the USGA, not getting it right. The players deserved better, Holly. Uh, you know, what they wanted to do, Mike Davis had this grand idea. They were going to play the U.S. Open on nothing but fescue. And the problem with fescue is that it's a cool-weather grass. And, you know, they put water on the golf course every morning, and it greened right up. Sunday morning I went out, and they were hand-watering the 18th green. But by lunchtime, the fescue goes brown, and it lays down, and it lets Poanya take over. You know, Holly, they'd rebuilt three greens there with nothing but fescue, and they were fine. Uh, you know, fescue, when the temperature gets up, it's going to go brown, and it's going to lay down, and it's going to, by Sunday, there were patches of dirt on most all the greens. It was just it, the players deserve better than that. I, I agree, and I think um... – you know, I, maybe he didn't quite handle it the, the most PC way, but, you know, I mean, Billy Horschel did just finally, you know, <laughs> he, you know, let it out of the bag and, uh, you know, just he said what everybody was thinking. Exactly. Exactly. As did Sergio. And I think probably, a, you know, a lot of people again going, oh, there goes Sergio, which, you know, he spoke out earlier. But, um, you know, and he was right on. He, he, he was. And what I think you hate seeing is there were a lot of a lot of putts that, you know, looked like they should have fallen in and hung up right at the end or, you know, made that one last turn and stopped, you know, when you know that isn't about the talent of the putter. It's about the inconsistency of the grass. And it brought everything down to luck. And, you know, the golf course was fine. Nobody complained about the golf course to speak of. You know, those guys are good enough. They can cover the real estate. They can figure out had a way to get the ball from the tee to the green. But on the greens is where they make their money. On the greens is where they win championships. And, you know, even though Jordan Spieth didn't complain, you know, he missed a lot of short putts during the week, as did everybody else. But, you know, if Jordan makes his short putts during the week, he wins by five or six. You know, the problem with those greens late in the day is that if you've got a 10 to 12-footer like Dustin Johnson had, you know, You've got if in order to make it, you got to put enough speed on it that if you miss, it's going four or five feet by the hole, and you know not everybody was willing to do that. 
Well, and I think you saw you saw that happen on the 18th with Dustin's Absolutely. putt. Absolutely. I mean, I you don't, know, I, you know, that I don't think it really showed, you know, the quickness. But what you're talking about is exactly what happened. And now, now he's left with, you know, the worst distance putt he wants to have because he was missing them all day. Absolutely, and so was everybody else. And you know, you look, know, the long making long putts out there is a whole lot different from having to make four and five footers. Uh, look at Louis Oosthuizen has, you know, I mean, what oh, a ball. He made everything he stood over, absolutely. Uh, great ball striking, but he left a, 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 a bunch out there, too. Oh, he sure did. He yeah, was if, three over after four holes on Sunday. Yeah, if he had, it seems like if he had made, I think there was about a half dozen, and I know you can't be perfect uh, for the ones that you leave out there, but really, if he had made half of those six-footers that he had left out there, we would have been staring at a 63. Oh, absolutely, Jeff. You know, if players ought to be able to, to show their skill. Players ought to be able to see, you know, that the best putter is going to make the most putts. And on those greens, it just wasn't the case. The best putter wasn't guaranteed to make the most putts. Yeah, absolutely. Now... If you're Mike Davis and you want to bring this event back uh, to the Pacific Northwest and to Chambers Bay, what do you do about the greens? Because there's no way you can keep the POA out. Well, I, I hear that that there's a Korean product called POA Cure that's going to come to the United States within the year. Uh, you know, I, I have no idea what it is or how effective it might be, but, but I'm hearing from some Greens people that it's it's going to be the be all and end all uh, to keep Poa under control. I don't know about that. You know that, like I said, they rebuilt three greens with nothing but fescue, and there was no Poa in those. And and all three of those greens put it just fine. You know, I'm I'm just not sure that fescue is the way to go for a U.S. Open in June in the Pacific Northwest. Now, you know, I can't help but believe that they're going to have to. Go to Bentgrass if if they're going to expect to come back. Well, I'd also heard floated out there. Why not just go to Poa Greens? At least you're getting Poa, everything growing. Absolutely. You know, there are many great golf clubs on the West Coast who have Poa Greens, and uh, I can San Francisco Golf Club is the first one that comes to mind, and they have great putting surfaces. So you know that may be the way to go. Well, Mike, um, it was interesting how the leaderboard kind of jammed up with a, a bunch of international players on Sunday, including three South Africans with Louis Oosthuizen finishing tied for second, and two Aussies, Adam Scott and Cameron Smith. And, you know, this is why I love Global Golf Post, because you're the best publication in terms of covering the globe and all the international players. So before we let you go, tell our listeners how they can sign up for GGP. Global Golf Post is a free digital magazine that will come to your uh, inbox uh, at 7 a.m. Or, or earlier Eastern time every Monday morning. It's free. You can sign up at www.globalgolfpost.com. Uh, we serve a worldwide audience of avid golfers. We cover the golf all over the globe. You do, and you have some of the best, most award-winning writers in the business. Perky, we so appreciate you spending some time with us. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Holly. All right, Mike Perky from Global Golf Post. You're listening to the Golf Insider 740 The Game. We've got 
More U.S. Open wrap-up coming up. Well, I don't want to take all the credit for their talent, but uh, first I had to teach them to play golf. Then I had to teach them to sing, and then I taught them to play various instruments, none of which they do very well. I want my dream. Yeah, yeah, really not so to me. I got good eyesight, I'll be all right. We're back to Golf Insiders. Wrapping up an hour of intelligent golf talk. And... Uh, Wrapping up the U.S. Open, Holly G. and Jeff Shane. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people may have remembered this, but Jordan Spieth played in the U.S. Amateur that was held at Chambers Bay in 2010, and he had a bit of a blow-up, shooting 83? 83 in his round at Chambers Bay. And and for those that, that may not know, at the U.S. Amateur uh, they used two courses for the stroke play portion before cutting to, to 64 into match play. And uh, I forget what the other golf course was nearby, but in Jordan Spieth's first encounter with Chambers Bay, he shot 83, and it led to him missing out on match play in 2010 that year. And uh, uh, as we discussed, uh, the, the winner has some Orlando connection, Lake Nona's Peter Uline. Yeah, well... Um... There's no doubt that, again, Jordan learns something from every tournament that he plays in. And also, uh, very, of course, uh, um, synergistic story with the fact that his caddy, Michael Grellers, from that area, got married at Chambers Bay. I mean, here's Jordan winning the U.S. Open, and he's saying, you know, I really wanted to do this for Michael in front of the ho- his home crowd, you know. I mean, he's just such a humble guy. It's amazing. Uh, another humble guy. That we love talking to, mm-hmm. who um, we had a little technical difficulty last week coming from Chambers Bay, but he's with us tonight, Jeff Babineau from Golf Week. Hey, JB. Hey, Holly and Jeff. How are you? Awesome. I know you were out for the media day back in, when was that, May, Jeff, and did a preview? Uh, April, late April. Late April. Uh, did late a pre- April. preview of Chambers Bay. You got a chance to play the course, yes? I did. I won't ask you your score. Unless it was world record. <laughs> but having played it, you know, just, uh, you know, share with our listeners, just, you know, I, I, also I think the difference in the course conditions then versus clearly what we saw this past week. Yeah, fortunately when we played it, it wasn't quite as fiery as what we saw this weekend. Um, you know, the greens, probably a little more grass on the greens. The, the green complexes are really difficult there. That was always going to be a challenge. And, uh, you know, but I, I found it enjoyable. I mean, I, um, you know, it's a beautiful setting. I mean, you stand up top on this hill and look down. looks like you're at the other Open Championship, honestly. But then once you walk down there and see the course, there's a lot of elevation uh, change to it. So it's, uh, it's a challenge. And it was going to be a bear, and, and I think they knew that going in. Yeah, and, and certainly uh, one of the things that had struck me is, uh, if this was built for a U.S. Open, and please tell me differently uh, if if that's the case, but this was was built for a U.S. Open, certainly it challenged uh, you know the golfers greatly. But the crowds at Chambers Bay didn't look like they had a lot of viewing advantage for a place that was built to accommodate U.S. Open crowds. No, you're right, and, and really that is the most curious thing. I, I did a follow up column today for GolfWeek.com and. I said they had three issues to address. Certainly you need better greens. 
You need to keep the 18th apart five. It's just not a good fit as a mm-hmm. before, and then you definitely need to address the fan experience. I mean, I, these people were so enthusiastic. I think they soldiered on and, and handled it pretty well, but it was tough. And, and the friends and families of these golfers, they simply couldn't watch their player go from the first tee to the 18th green. It was impossible. So you're right. I mean, for a place that was built with a U.S. Open in mind, when you think about building – you know, the TPC stadium courts with the stadium seating and mm-hmm. how they had the fan in mind there. And they didn't have the fan in mind here certainly enough because uh, sitting in a grandstand trying to watch five hours of golf isn't the most fun experience you're going to have. And it was the same for the media, wasn't it? I mean, you well, didn't right, you have we, special places? Well, there were right. We had some viewing areas. If you didn't have it inside the ropes, usually we'd probably get about 250 media members inside the ropes at the U.S. Open, and we probably had one-fifth of that, so maybe 50, and that included photographers. I mean, wow. The photographers can't fake it. They can't sit in a press room and exactly about the action. So, yeah, it was difficult. I mean, I, I was like, I had one. I got inside. It was kind of strange when you were inside. You walk right down the fairway because you can't really be up in the dunes. So I went the whole way with uh, Dustin Johnson and Jason Day on Sunday, saw every shot, and did the eight and a half miles, and it was a haul, but it was uh, it was a fun Sunday, a lot of action. Yeah, and and something that we really haven't talked a lot about, uh, uh, Stevie Williams back on the bag for Adam Scott, and Adam had a pretty good day on Sunday, shooting sixty four to get a tie for for fourth. Yeah, I mean he, he had a great day, and uh, I think I think Stevie provides some of the fire that Adam doesn't always have. You know, he's such a laid back, nice guy. And I think Stevie kind of gives him some of that, you know, some of the edge. And uh, he played really well. I mean, he didn't get himself in position the first few days that a 64 was going to get it done for him. But, you know, no one, no one played better all week. That was the score of the week. And, and it'll be interesting to see where these two go, you know, going forward, heading to St. Andrews and see what Stevie and Adam can do. And somebody we haven't talked at all about, which was both Jeff's and my pick last week outside of Jordan Spieth, and that was – Phil, uh, I mean, were you were you kind of surprised at, at what happened to Phil? Yeah, yes and no. I mean, Phil, the last few years, I mean, he's found it only a couple of weeks. It's been at big events, so we thought he might summon it there, and certainly he thought his creativity would be really a real good asset at Chambers Bay, but he just had trouble with the putter. You know, Phil goes hot and cold with the putter. He had trouble. He talked about the greens being inconsistent in speeds right on the first day, and uh, he just didn't give himself enough looks, and when he did, he, he wasn't knocking him down. So it was frustrating. He, he left there without saying a whole lot. I think he was smart about that, uh, but he was frustrated. And, you know, you wonder how that, you know, that window is definitely closing for Phil in the U.S. Open. You know, he goes to Oakmont next year. He doesn't have a great record there. We go to a new venue the year after that at Aaron Hills, and you wonder if that window isn't all the way closed for Phil Mickelson in the U.S. Open. And what do you think about Jordan? Um, is uh, is it a Grand Slam year to put him in some incredible uh, elite company? Well, you know, it certainly makes St. Andrews awfully exciting, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. sure does. I, the kid's terrific. He really is. Uh, I, you know, I I like the kid a lot, but I I got to be honest. Sitting there, he was up there with that trophy next to him. And having watched Dustin Johnson, I mean, I think, I think Dustin Johnson should have won that tournament by four or five shots. 
if he had an average putting round on Sunday. But you know, I give Jordan credit. He's putting himself in there. He, you know, had the big hiccup at 17, makes double bogey to let some guys back in. Then he answers with a huge shot in 18. And you know, he just has a knack for the moment. And uh, he's amazing. And, and what really amazed me last week was the fact that he turned his opening round and his Saturday round into decent scores on days when he just didn't have a whole lot. That's something that Tiger used to do. I mean, Tiger wouldn't – he'd go out there and maybe chop it around, but he wouldn't shoot 75. He'd shoot 71 and keep himself around, and that's what Jordan did last week at Chambers Bay. We've only got a minute left, Jeff, um, and we didn't haven't talked about Tiger. Uh, you know, <laughs> I said last week, was was Chambers Bay going to be suicide for him? Uh, what, do you, what do you think he's got to do here? Uh, I don't know. You know, it's it's funny. I mean, there were so many storylines. By the end of the week, you almost forget about Tiger being there, but it's just a mess. Um, you just can't take it from the practice tee to the golf course, and that's that's mental, and this guy was mentally stronger than anyone we'd ever seen. So, I mean, I think he's got to get back to as much as he can as just feeling it and not thinking so much about it. But it's it's way easier said than done, and he probably needs to play a lot more. So we, at least we have a stretch ahead where he's got to play a little more golf and He's got to kind of get back to the natural things that made him the number one player in the world. Couldn't agree more. And uh, maybe a little less thinking, a little more feeling, and a little more playing. Just like we all should do. Get out there and play. Thanks, Jeff. Right. Jeff Babineau from it. Golf Week. Thank you so much. Your final thoughts, Jeff Shea? Well, it's certainly going to be a lot of talk coming up to uh, to St. Andrews and, and the British. And uh, as many... Um, opportunities really we've only had three real opportunities for a grand slam and it's uh, plenty of talk between now and then absolutely and um yeah st andrews a home of golf uh tom watson playing his final uh final british open yeah the the last year of his exemption and uh that goodbyes at st andrews are always a little bit more special than other places yeah absolutely it's going to be great to see now how the majors play out uh the PGA and the British. Jordan Spieth, congratulations. Thanks for listening. The Golf Insiders, we're out of here. Bye-bye.